All right. Wow. Let's Vote do this. Is. Podcast, episode five. Ooh, yes. five. Five. Five already. Two new people with us. Uh, really, it's three verdicts in me today. Long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> we have Jamin Burdick and Gracie Burdick, and they go together. And for those of you who don't know, Jamin is my nephew, mm-hmm. and we have worked together on and off for five years. Yeah. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. He was brought up quite a bit in episode one. Yeah, that's true. But um, today, as we sit here on November 5th, 6th, 2020, it's an interesting time. 2020 is an interesting time to be alive, wall to wall. Truth. But right now is very interesting. We're in the season finale. (laughs) This is it? The first first half of the season finale, it seems. Do you mean like of life or just of (laughs) 2020? No, of 2020. Well, (laughs) this is it, the final episode. That's that's up in the air, too, as far as I can It's part one. (laughs) That's like the Mayan calendar. The 2012, everything ends after. Yeah, no. Yeah. So we're certainly, we have no intention of getting political or anything like that on this podcast. But just given where we're at, we don't even know who our president is currently. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still currently Trump, but we don't know who's going to be president in a couple months. And we are living in an incredibly divided society, and never has that been more evident than this year, mm-hmm. where the divides across basically every imaginable line have exposed themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And it's rough. And for a lot of people who I think most people would consider themselves this way, they just don't know what to do. They just don't know how to act and what to say and what not to say. And Mm -hmm. they care about people and they don't want to offend people and they want to do good things and um, they want to try to see people's points on all sides of things. I feel that way about myself. I really don't know how to do that right now. And I'm finding Mm -hmm. that to be challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we all have our own opinions of things and what's the right way to go about things, whether that be politically or socially or economically. But it seems like the landscape has gotten so divided to where there's no room for disagreement. It's, if you don't agree with me, then you hate me. It really feels like it goes there so quickly. Yeah. Um, and the room for civil debate and discussion and compromise is just like gone. Yeah. And so what I thought would be a good topic for us today, just given the world that we're living in, is ha- how do we as storytellers, filmmakers, creatives, writers, what is our role in that? Yeah. Like, how do we make it better yeah. somehow? And so, you know, our our slogan, if you will, at Votary is meaningful stories. Everyone who works here has a strong belief and conviction that powerful storytelling can make a difference and can be meaningful work. And so the question I want to pose to you guys is, how do we do meaningful work in the world that we live in today and what does it look like 
Well, I'll jump in and say that, you know, what you were just starting to touch on regarding um, not knowing what to say or how to say it. And that, and then when people do, or let's like take, for example, like a Facebook post and they're like, I'm going to do it. I put it out there for the world to see. And the next thing you know, there's 80 people that are just chewing their face off Mm. for whatever the opinion was. I, I think that it's, there's just so much disrespect in the way that we see that the discord, you know, people trying to communicate or trying to say what they believe. And there's a lot of disrespect um, because we're so stuck on like dogma. You know, I, I think about it like, um, uh, if someone's sitting there in the room with you and, and plenty of people, plenty of people would chew someone's face off, even if they were sitting right there, but most people wouldn't. Most people, I think, would tend to be yeah, a little bit more vast quiet majority. and be a little more chill and just yeah. listen for a bit and yeah. be a little bit more respectful. And I think that that's a lot of what needs to happen all the way around is, is I think the world needs more humility. And I think specifically we need to say, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe this other perspective, maybe I can learn something from it. Because the people that have done that over time uh, seem to be changing the world for a better place. If you look at history, and a lot of people aren't looking at history much anymore, but I love history, and history is stories, right? And um, I look at fairly um, loved and respected people in history who would teach by telling stories. And a lot of the times, the stories that they're telling uh, aren't so on the nose, and I think I need to probably use some examples, to where it's dividing people. The, the, what I love about good storytelling is when the, sto- when the messaging isn't um, just beating you over the head with a specific point of view yeah. or angle, because then it requires no thinking. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, I have to figure out, do, am I in that person's tribe or if, am I not? And, yeah, yeah. Do, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. Whether instead of the nuance, life is like complex yeah. and nuanced. We're supposed to be deep thinking and like processing and and have critical thinking. And uh, so, you can't do that without first having a respect for your fellow man and 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 some level of humility mm-hmm. to say, uh, I'm going to have this conversation and I'm going to see, and I'm going to be I'm going to be careful with my and, and measured and yeah. and open um i think you know in the seven habits of highly affected people like what I, I forget which habit is i think it's four or five i i gotta look it back up but it's uh seek first to understand and then be understood mm-hmm. and both sides are incredibly important a lot of times you'll get one or the other with someone someone will seek to understand and then they'll be quiet and they didn't have courage to be understood mm-hmm. or that, people yeah. the other way around which is just like broadcasting broadcasting be understood i'm trying to get you to understand me understand me never seeking to understand mm-hmm. right yeah so seek first to understand then be understood then be understood you need both right so i think that's like something that would help us help everyone <laughs> uh mm-hmm. and but, but i'm interested going back to your question of how, how does that come into storytelling? Well, I, I think that examining 
all sides. We make documentaries. Uh, I, that's one thing that comes to comes to mind is like usually there are multiple voices in a documentary and they have different brains and they have different perspectives and you're mm. you're interviewing people and getting these different perspectives. And I, you know, I think that we have if it's entertainment that we're making, I think that we have a uh, a responsibility to get a lot of perspectives. I think that's probably also true when we're getting paid client work to do our best to show what what a company believes um, and you do that with different perspectives. But uh, what I don't like is when it's just too heavy handed mm -hmm. yeah. on the nose. Yeah. I feel like you're um, touching on like the first thought that I had when it, we're thinking about this, like what does it take to be a, a storyteller um, that is doing meaningful work in this, you know, climate. Um, political climate and I feel like what you're kind of touching on is this concept that a good storyteller is oftentimes first a good listener of stories and you have to be able to it, like for example as an interviewer you have to be able to listen to someone's story before you can actually communicate their story and go in and edit it you know in a authentic and personable way you have to listen to them first. So I, I, I agree with you when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, that's listening is an act of humility. Yeah. Right? Just listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, the old God gave us two ears and one mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Twice as much listening. I think that it's important, too, to evaluate your own motivations and your mm -hmm. own what's your what's your end game you know like yeah. because you can say oh, i want to make the world a better place i want to mm -hmm. uh i want to unite people whatever you whatever you want to say mm -hmm. but in in the back of your head or deep in your heart you could just be saying i want to win i want my side to win That's true. and and so i think that there needs to be a real not that you ever compromise your convictions and what you know and believe to be true Mm -hmm. that's never the solution but being humble enough to say that maybe i don't know all the answers there's a possibility that my side my camp whatever my party is not 100 percent right across the board yeah um because if you're not willing to say go into a conversation go into a relationship or an interaction with someone saying to yourself i'm willing to be wrong in this i'm willing to, for my mind to be changed maybe not completely but i'm open to the the idea that i don't know all everything yeah then there's no point in even going into the into the conversation at it's all it's so hard though it's such a like like you're saying humbling thing like because everyone does believe that they're right where they're at mm -hmm. uh what what they believe politically mm -hmm. they think i do, i understand something you don't yeah. I get it, and you're missing. I've thought it. about it, and you haven't. That's, yeah, I hate. That's the worst. Is like yeah. you clearly haven't done your research, or you, you know what I mean. And, and it's like there's but just so much presumption, attitude. and yeah. we all do it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think that's a, a big part of where it starts, and it speaks to humility is the just the openness to the idea that you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. the notion that someone else might know something or have experienced something that you haven't. I think on a, on a, like another side of that, like on a broader scale, 
as a creative, as somebody that's like putting things into the world, like you were saying earlier, Jed, like everybody needs to understand what their role as a citizen is, and that's going to look different for everybody. Like, not everybody's supposed to be on the front lines. Not everybody's supposed to be in government. You know, not everybody's supposed to be like, um, you know, saying this and this and this is wrong. Right? P that needs to be called out. But we can't all have that role. And I think um, a lot of the time, our role as a creative is like just to add to the good that is in the world, and mm. you know, and add to, you know, maybe we're not exactly addressing this exact political issue in this video, but it's just causing people to think about these little things in life that are affected by those things, you know? Like, um, yeah, I don't know, it's like just having the humility to, to understand what your role is as a creative, as well as understanding what your motivation is behind everything that you put into the world. Mm -hmm. And talking about heavy handedness too, I feel like a lot of movies, I was having this conversation with I think Jono and Mike or, or one of them. And it kind of, you, you guys touched on it in the first episode of the podcast about, um, you know, being fatigued by these COVID, mm -hmm. <laughs> like we're with you commercials. But this, this like underlying, especially in movies, there can be this preachiness that's just exhausting. And it's like, you can't enjoy the movie. It's, you don't want to be preached at like preachiness in films specifically can be super out of place and not the right time, like exhausting mm -hmm. and it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's really hard too, because the, the exact medium of movies requires that you dance this line of exposition yeah. versus what you know what will the viewer pick up on or mm. what will they yeah. get on their own yeah. yeah yeah and when you go through and start editing especially a feature things that you just knew from reading the script or if you wrote the script especially like yeah you fill in all these gaps in your yeah. mind of what you know uh, but the audience doesn't necessarily pick pick it up so i can see why over time, people are just getting more and more on the nose. You're like, I just like, have to clarify this one. Right, <laughs> here it is. I'm saying this, right? Yeah. And and so it's a the real art of... of it's like Avatar. Great, yeah, great filmmaking, great storytelling <laughs> is dancing that line appropriately and, and artistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like James Cameron was like, I kind of want to do an allegory to like American colonialization and the Native American... What if we did it in space, but they were still just Native Americans? <laughs> like it was so, you know what I mean? And it, and uh. it's just the one thing that popped in my head, not like a statement on the message of the movie. Great movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that oh, was yeah. that's a pretty decent example of of still standing for something that you believe in, right? Or like because as filmmakers, you can't compromise who you are every filmmaker has something that they're standing for i feel mm -hmm. like it's an mm -hmm. important part of the craft yeah mm -hmm. yeah but well, at the same time there's that balance that you're talking about where yeah it, it, it can't be too heavy-handed well i think that there's two ways to change someone's mind on something and that's either to it's either by force 
uh-huh. where they just don't have a choice because yeah. you're literally just it doesn't matter whether you agree or not you're being forced to do something or you know act in accordance with something or you guide them along to a point where they make the realization on their own yeah so i think that that is that's the the balance right there is like if you want someone to understand how you feel or view or think of something, you're never going to get them to that place when you start at, from a place of a, a, a combative yeah. posture. When you come to the table as an enemy, then there's, you don't, you're never going to get anywhere. But if you Do come you- along as a partner or a friend or so, and you come to a place where you are just as much seeking to understand as you are to be mm-hmm. understood, then you can kind of walk down that path together and hopefully you actually both learn new things. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's what is so missing mm. when you look around, when you look at politics, when you turn on any news station, when you turn on any social media platform, there's so little humility and openness. And when's the last time you saw someone say, I actually, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Like whoever whoever admits to not knowing about something, everyone yeah, or or having made a misstep. Oh my God, we talked about that just in in the same con- uh, context of talking about companies and um, things like that. Is like, when's the last time you heard somebody say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong." Yeah, you know, especially in the public eye, whether it be a politician or a business. Well, and believed it too, right? Like that it wasn't a publicity. Right, because there are the pu- publicity stunts where it's like the the PR, the publicist is saying the only way you're going to fix this is go and make a public apology. And yeah. and it's like usually around some, you know, whatever politically mm-hmm. correct or racial thing or something. Yeah, like yeah. Trying to, trying to somehow keep cancel culture at bay or yeah. something. <laughs> I know this is getting a little political by saying that, but it's true. Like it, that comes off as sound seemingly disingenuine. Di- right. Disingenuous. Right. I, I'm just like, I'm not not buying it, you know. Do but you, but if someone but the, say say a politician or something said, hey, we, we launched this policy last year, and the data's come in, and it wasn't the right way to go. Yeah, and I take full responsibility for that, and we're changing, we're going this direction. Like I would, t- that would be refreshing. Mm-hmm. You know, humility is is so attractive, right? Like it's such an attractive mm-hmm. quality when you meet a, a truly humble person who, you know, like. May may even wow. have every reason to brag or assert themselves or whatever, but yeah. they don't, and they're willing to listen, and yeah. like that is a huge thing. And I think that's if there's one thing that I could point to that so many people are upset about right now is leaders who are not humble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the moment because when you start there, when you start from a non-humble place, you get written off. Right. And no one wants to is even willing to go yeah. down that path with you and say, like, well, OK, like what, what is he really saying or what is she really saying and what have they done? You know what I mean? Like, it's just. Yeah. So you do yourself no favors when you when you when you come to the table from uh, a non humble place. I have a question from a storytelling perspective. Do you think that there's a problem with your goal going into it? being that you want to change someone's mind 
I think if it's the 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 you know the if your total goal, the only goal, is to change someone's mind, that's a problem. Yeah, I think that if the goal is to have a healthy relationship, if the goal is to truly show love to the other person, yeah. or encourage critical thinking in that encourage person. critical thinking, yeah. then you have to model it. Yeah. Right, you have to model it, and th- and the only way you're going to do that is by being humble and listening to the other person, and actually, and not just listen. Like we all say, oh, make sure you listen. No, it's really chew on it and think about it and weigh it and say, okay, how do I, if I was to apply that thinking here, 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 and here, is am I getting the better results or worse? Mm-hmm. And look at history. I mean, gosh, couldn't we just look at history for a second? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's lost. It's a lost thing to just mm. look at history. History is riddled with stories about whatever you want to know about. Whatever you want to know about. Yeah, we're not well, the first people to experience whatever we're experiencing. Right. Or to, you know, to be yeah. facing the problems we're facing. Yeah. Um, is there an example that sticks out to you guys that of a story, whether it be a book or a movie or something, that was really effective in changing your mind or perspective on something? Um or enlightening you in a certain way that you didn't think about before and did it in that kind of humble way that where it wasn't just jamming it down your throat. Well, we were just talking about this the other day um, about movies in culture that are that have a religious message and how so, so often religious movies have felt either too preachy or too on the nose or a lack of uh, something that would draw me in and make me feel um, entertained is mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. maybe the word to say, engaged. And one that was not that way was my father's favorite movie, and it was influential on me, which is Chariots of Fire. Mm. Chariots of Fire isn't uh, a rip-roaring <laughs> action adventure it's a, it's a heady look at one man's actual life. You know, it's a, it's a biopic um, based on history, but they did an amazing job because he was wrestling with real deep existential questions about what path to choose. Mm. And he had this influence, different influences in his life, Eric Little, these different influences in his life and one was his sister and his sister just didn't approve of him running and racing and going all the way to the Olympic Games and she she was it was tough for her so there's this tension throughout the film and even though it's um, you know it's a these are it's pretty uh, I would say you know it's very English it's very um um, I'm lacking the words, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a lot of action. It doesn't have, it's not mm. a lot of mystery. It's very, yeah, it's heady. Like I said, it's not the most dramatic even, right? It's intellectual. That's the word I was looking for. It's much okay. more intellectual. Um, but even there though, are some exciting moments though. I mean, he, when he's running, and absolutely. And, racing. and tonally like Vangelis did an incredible job with the, with the soundtrack. Like it's yeah. the most memorable running music of all time, <laughs> right? Running along the beach. Yeah. But that was a movie that influenced me to your, to your question, mm-hmm. Cody, because I, that was the first time that I saw a film where I was like, this 
the per, the the message of the story the 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 storyteller's point and messaging throughout it in many ways it echoed or it was it went along with Eric Little's feelings right they were mm. that who you know I can't even tell you the director's name I should know but I don't hmm. know um but he or she felt I think inspired by the things that Eric Little said mm. and it was the first example that I ever saw where I'm like you can make a great story, say what you believe, and it can just be beautiful instead of like, mm -hmm. uh, I hate this, right? Like yeah. I w I've been t so turned off by so many different religious movies um, and different, all types of religion, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, but that was, that was a big one for me. And there's plenty of books too, but. Uh, there's mm. one book I can think about, which you can, you know, shut me down if this is not okay, but like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, was written by an ex, a, a former atheist, for people who, um, you know, were against Christianity or did not believe in God because he he saw he saw a need of like a lack of understanding, where you know, Christian language is all up here. You know, it's it's hard to mm. it's hard to understand. It's hard to like make a like you can't really grasp it sometimes right and and lewis's purpose for writing mere christianity was just to put the gospel in simple terms hmm. and um it wasn't like obviously his hope was like i hope that this brings like this does enlighten people that are struggling with their faith or have closed the door on god but it wasn't as like this is why you should believe it's more like this is the reality this is where I saw that there was a lack of understanding between, mm. you know, Christians and atheists or, you know, and I, and I wanted to fill that, that gap, that lack, and people could take it or leave it. But at least, you know, he, he left it out there for people to see. And I think that, like, even for me, having been raised a Christian, like, it answered questions for me that either I was too afraid to ask or I never really thought about and yeah like it just brought a lot of clarity a lot of clarity to something that of course people would have trouble with because it's hard to understand you know but yeah that's one that's one thing I can think about off the top of my head so mere Christianity is actually a great example of that for me as well I had a very similar experience with that book and it's a it's a good one to bring up too because when Lewis wrote that, that was that book was made up of a series of essays that he had wrote during World War II, mm -hmm. during mm -hmm. a time where uh, England was being assaulted and they were living in fear every day of bombs falling on their heads. Yeah, and they were in a desperate, desperate place as a nation, like no hope. You know, are we even going to make it through tomorrow? That wow. kind of place. Yeah. And he wrote that, he was asked to write that book. Actually, I, I, I might have misspoke. I don't think it was a series of essays. I think it was a series of radio interviews mm. that were then turned into essays yeah. that were then yeah. turned into the mm -hmm. book. Um, and it was literally just, he was asked to go on the radio and offer encouragement. I don't think he was asked, he was prompted to talk about the, the tenets of Christianity and to understand it at a fundamental level. Nothing like that. That's just where he went with it. But... Um, I don't know, just, that just struck me that that, that book what yeah. came out of a time of, of 
stress stress and national and really mm-hmm. world crisis yeah. and various you know not apples and oranges where we are now but similar in terms of the maybe an emotional place that people are at right yeah, the emotional stress that people are mm-hmm. the weight they're carrying yeah um i have two examples that came to mind the movie unbroken mm. did you guys see that great yep. film yeah that was a great example of just telling a really powerful story with and just letting the story be what it was mm-hmm. and there's just so much wrapped into uh, into that and like this the idea of radical forgiveness and mm-hmm. compassion and um, that was one thing that came to mind and then on the opposite end of the spectrum on the documentary end um, minimalism I don't know if you guys saw that not, I think it's on Netflix it. yeah. seen the cover on Netflix Scroll yeah by it. it's good it's um, they do so what they're doing is they are presenting an alternate lifestyle hmm. but the way that they present it is not like here are the rules and this is better because of x y and z they present it in such a way that like look this is where we were at this is how we started changing how we were living and these were the results mm-hmm. and then here's other people and their own journeys in a similar way and they and at no point did they ever say like this is what you need to do and it actually deeply impacted me. I actually get made fun of every now and then because I only have like 10 shirts in the world. Um, I have like, I I actually adopted a lot of the lessons that were in that documentary into my own life about um, owning less things, you know, like buying less things, being much more intentional with Mm -hmm. my choices that I buy and Mm -hmm. um, just the value of having less stuff in your life and putting less stock in the thing in the stuff that you have and own um that was a that was a really impactful thing in my life and um i thought that was a documentary that that towed that line well where it was you know obviously they believed that it was a better way to live it changed it changed their lives but they weren't they weren't putting that on anybody else in the way that they presented it and i and it worked really well for me. I'll have to watch that one. Did they use a lot of good examples of people who were living that life? Yeah. They kind of, well, so it was re- really cool too, because these two guys, um, and they actually have a really popular podcast as well, as well as, as though this one's really popular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as popular as ours. Um, it's called The Minimalists. Impressive. But what they, the documentary is set up in such a way that they're being followed along on their tour. They had a, I think it was a book tour. And they interview people that they come across along the way and get their stories of like their own journeys through minimalism and it's cool. Um, But yeah, so I think that a good thing to talk about is passion. Yeah. And we've been talking quite a bit about that, about, you know, pursuit, the pursuit of your passion, like what kind of career or lifestyle choice do you do you make or do you, do you yeah. is it worth it to go after your passions yeah yeah to me they're hand in hand right because if you're what the things that you're passionate about are the things that you want other people to be passionate about right they're the things that you that's true so there if you're you're not going to try to change someone's mind or perspective on something if you don't care about the thing right yeah. um and so this idea this question of like given how divided we are and just the landscape of the world that we're living in what does it look like to pursue passion is it why why do we want to do it 
Mm-hmm. Something something that brought this up in conversation earlier was I watched the movie this weekend, Crazy Rich Asians. Have you seen it? <laughs> I watched half of it. It's pretty funny. It's pretty I good. didn't love it, to be honest. It was fine. It was fine. I didn't like the movie, but it was. <laughs> but the one thing that stuck out to me in it was uh, there's mm-hmm. this moment where the main character meets the mean mom of her boyfriend who is not accepting of her because of her status and her economic and social status and she's from America, she's not, she wasn't born in China, all this stuff. And she, the main character was explaining to the mom what she does and she's like, I'm an economics professor and I'm just like so passionate about it. And the mom says, um, pursuing your passions, huh? How American. And (laughs) that line really stuck out to me because it kind of just dawned on me a little bit like, oh yeah, that's not like, a universal thing. It's yeah, not everybody. So true. Like, not every country. Um, right. Like, I feel like I've grown up thinking, like, you know, you decide what you're passionate <laughs> about, you decide what, what you really want to do in life, and then you go after that. Yeah. And not everybody does that, but that's kind of, an, um, uh, I feel like, a, a widely understood thing. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. find what you're passionate about, and, you know, right. that's, that's common language in America. <laughs> And it kind of struck me like, oh, that's not everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and in, in other cultures, it's much more about duty and doing what's right for the family and things like that. So that or br- just or just survive. You're, co- yeah. you're talking yeah. hundreds or yeah. thousands of years of whatever it takes to survive. Like mm-hmm. yeah. you got to find out what you're good at or what you could get good at, whether you're passionate about it or not. Right. That's true. Yeah. So that brought up this conversation earlier this week where, you know, like, wow, so pursuing your passion as even uh being a valuable thing is not a guarantee but then the ability to pursue your passion for that to be an option um is a gift Mm -hmm. uh that i've probably just taken for granted and and i just you know i wanted to kind of bring that into this conversation of like what does that look like right now yeah i mean and just like with so many other things in life it's nuanced right because you know you going jumping off what i was just saying about figuring out what you're good at it's it what what you think you're passionate about you may not end up becoming passionate about it like for sure we go through changes but what is passion is are you born with it what what is was a career choice that you're passionate about? Mm-hmm. Is that just going to automatically be there, or is it influenced from by trying a bunch of things, yeah. figuring out what you're good at naturally, and you like it because you can be good at something and not love it, mm-hmm. yeah, 100%. right? But I think that's the magic combo is finding what you have some natural gifting for and you love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the third was would be is it doing good in the world? Is it being yeah. as effective as you want to be? With or, or at least it's it's meaningful to you, right? Like you're p- passionate because it's it does something for you inside of you. It's like you feel alive when you're doing it or whatever. But when I look at the examples that you guys were bringing up of stories, movies, and books that have like impacted you and like changed your mind. To me, it seems like the the most successful change your mind type of stories are the ones where the person who's telling the story is passionate about what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's not just I learned about this thing and you should know about it too. like it's something that's just in them that's for sure they have to talk about it because it's so personal and it just mm-hmm. is their life you know and it, when I was thinking about it one example that came to mind is is chef's table we love chef's table mm-hmm. and you know I didn't really have a lot of respect for the art of like culinary and cooking and all you know any of it and i didn't know how nuanced it was or how many different aspects yeah styles and all you know um not really but watching that show i get pieces of this passion that people have you know for cooking and um that's powerful because i may not love to cook but i love to see someone else passionate about it mm-hmm. and that you know produces respect for from me for them um and like that changes my mind you know mm-hmm. at what point do you feel i mean it's case by case but do you feel like people pursue their passions for not enough or for too long without getting good results or do you think it's just pretty much always works out? <laughs> it, it just always works out. <laughs> Are you asking like percentage? <laughs> well, I'm just like how often? No, just even anecdotally, I I am just musing about like I I can imagine that we could invite someone onto this podcast in this moment mm-hmm. that would look at us and be like, I spent thirty years pursuing what I thought was my passion, and wow. I didn't get as far as I. And, Mm-hmm. Only and but maybe they have some breakthrough at some point. But I'm wondering what the other perspective is about pursuing pa- passion. I, Go ahead. One thing I've one thing I've seen is that people don't understand the value of their passion, and like that can be for something as simple as like writing or drawing. Right? Um, you don't immediately see a career in something like that all the time, but hmm. like the the one year I did go to school. Um, I just saw these kids that were like wandering around for like their first couple of years of college. And they're like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, this is a thing that makes sense. But, but then you like get to know them more and they're like, oh wow, they're like super talented in like public relations or something. Or like, like um, even like culinary, like this is like, this is something you are passionate about. And that's something that you have seen as a hobby up until now. But like, there's value in that, and you can actually get somewhere with that. Mm-hmm. I think that people just haven't been taught, like, okay, that little thing that you've called a hobby, you might as well start there. Wow. You might as well start pursuing that, and if it right. doesn't end up anywhere, but maybe it's going there's to no encouragement to pursue it. Yeah, exactly. I think they mm-hmm. just they just need to know that there's value in it. Yeah, I, it's a tricky thing because to Jed's point, like it's not just as simple as like, well, if you just pursue your passion, you're going to make it and yeah. you'll be able to survive. Like that is a gift. I feel I, I yeah, never want to lose sight of the fact that yeah. like, I love what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Same here. Um, and I can remember not loving mm-hmm. what I was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, me there's too. literally millions of people out there that sit in a cubicle and it's a big meme, right? It's a joke about like yeah. wanting to leave your job because you just feel like a corporate slave and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's just not—it's just not that simple. And and it's also 
it's not true that once you find your passion, if you are lucky enough to pursue it and get and make a living on it, that it's going to be all passion all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. work is always work at some point, right? Like, there's yeah. always going to be parts of things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, but to we never really answered your question, I guess, in terms of like, I don't know. I think that. I think that even if you know what your passion is, you're lucky. Because I don't think that everybody ever really figures that out yeah. or finds that you know sense of calling towards something. Um, and I am lucky to know that I have been, I've felt a strong calling and pull towards filmmaking since the time I was like 12. Yeah. So that's just been my experience. It's like I've always known that's where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself curious about other stuff? Or does, is that a dominant just to stays dominant. It, yeah, I mean, like, well, I, I love all things creative, and I feel like that all gets enfolded into fi- the, the the practice of filmmaking. It's like there's room mm. for all creative thought and practice, and um, so I don't I don't really feel like I'm ever wondering what it would be like to have gotten into another field or something like that. I just I'm just very happy with the choice that I've made. Um, I guess that's why I'm asking about the, the even just having us define passion while we're sitting here because I can't turn off the curiosity about everything yeah. in my brain. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm yeah, one, I mean, I, the amount of woodworking that I've done in the last year has made me like, I love it, right? Mm-hmm. And I never did wood, woodworking before. Some metal work or, um, you know, design 3d yeah. 3d design where i'm like laying out rooms in my house and whatnot like we just recently for me it's, doing that. it's architecture yeah like i'm just fascinated by the you know planning like just the vision that you have to have to, yeah. to build a structure that's nuanced and different totally. and something you haven't seen before like that's fascinating to me mm-hmm. and yet i don't think that so i wonder if I would, I, I, I love filmmaking. I love it, you know, through and through. But I wonder if, if I didn't have that opportunity in my life, if I had stumbled upon design or yeah, carpentry or something like that, if I would have been sitting in the seat saying, I'm so glad that I'm passionate about carpentry. You know what I mean? Like, Well, here's the thing that, I guess this is kind of what I was getting at with my answer is, the beauty about being passionate about something like filmmaking or storytelling or writing is that you can enfold any other area of passion yeah. into that. Yeah. If you're passionate about woodworking and you're a filmmaker, totally. guess what you're going to do? You're going to make films yeah. about woodworking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and you see that some of the most like, uh, the, the most amazing content that you'll see out there is, is made by people who just make films about one thing. True. Like I'm a surfing filmmaker and their films are like insane about surfing. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of to my point is like, if there's something that I feel strongly about, I can pursue it through filmmaking. I don't Mm -hmm. need to go become that. So, uh, I, I don't know. That's just one thing that's cool. One thing that came to my mind as Gracie was talking was the kind of parable of the Mexican fisherman. Do you guys know that one? I don't think so. I'm going to read it just cause it made me think of it. So it goes like this. Uh, an American vet investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican man replied, only a little while. 
The American then asked, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. And the American asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take siestas with my wife, I stroll into the village each evening, we sip wine, and, play, and I play guitar with my friends. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. He says, I'm a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing with the proceeds and buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a whole fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City and then L.A. and eventually New York City, where you will run your, your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this all take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then, asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions? And then what? The American said, then you would retire. You would move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine <laughs> and play your guitar with your friends. And it's just this idea of like, here's a man who found his passion and was living it out, right? And mm -hmm. like, and I don't know, it, whatever you were saying, just jogged that in my mind and felt relevant to like the pursuit of passion versus the pursuit of success and... I know we've kind of gotten off topic in terms of like the landscape of things right now, but it was interesting enough. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's relevant. And is it weird of me to love that Harvard MBA's plan? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was dreaming of those, that IPOs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think the value of having, you know, multiple things that you are passionate about that you do want to put your time into is that, it that it all helps you and i think one of you guys were saying this earlier it's like it all benefits your main your main focus right it's like as a writer i can't just depend on my own knowledge right i have to be pulling from everywhere all the time like i've learned so much working with with votary working with jamin and filmmaking i've been able to see like the similarities between writing and filmmaking and like the processes and everything but and like there's so much content that can come out of that right and without knowledge of like you know painting or culinary or whatever like I wouldn't be able to you know enhance my own like mm. my primary craft my primary passion mm -hmm. it all like feeds into it so just well something I've, I've thought about a lot I too. almost feel like as a filmmaker you're you know, goal and, and respect has to be just for passion exclusively, not a passion for something, hmm. but just for that, like a passion for passion because yeah. as a filmmaker, especially documentary filmmaker, you're uh, getting these inside windows into other people's lives and your duty is to capture it authentically to them and then uh, translate that to an audience, right? And so it, it can't be that you, like you just have to have like that little bit of excitement about their passion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than 
oh, I love exactly what you're doing. Like, that's cool, but it has to start with like just, I love that you love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you know, us visual storytellers are all a little bit voyeuristic that way, where it's exciting to see this character who's living a life different than ours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're walking along in their shoes kind of emotionally for a little while, or just a mat, you know, you're, it's a front row seat anyways, you can imagine what it's like to be them. Yeah. And then you kind of re, re replicate. Yeah. It's like they're sitting and posing for a painting that you're, that you're doing you kind of let your imagination right run wild with wow what is it like to be in their shoes yep yeah well i think passion is contagious i think that is what rubs off when for your from example of like you weren't you didn't give much thought or care too much about culinary arts but then when you saw someone who like it was their life yeah that you, you gained a whole new appreciation of it right and so to me that maybe the bridge between the two things we've talked about which is how do we make connection in a place in a time and and country where people are so divided yeah um what are some things that we can be doing you know like how do how can we approach our work every day how can we approach our clients and how what are the kinds of stories that we can um tell and how do we tell them that's the stuff that you know i'm not we're not gonna have an answer right now but Mm. that's the stuff that really gets me thinking and Mm. going it's like I don't want to be the kind of person who is just passive in life. And I don't want to be the kind of person who the world just happens to, you know, like life is too short to not try to make a difference, to not try to make the world a better place, to not try to influence your community for the better. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and so if I were to try to answer my own question, I would say it's finding that balance and telling the stories in a humble way mm-hmm. and lifting up the things that other people are doing. And, um, hopefully I think if, if I think the highest calling right now, the best thing that you could do is humanize someone in the eyes of someone who disagrees with them and create a context for more empathy and more humility. Mm, that's good. Um, if, if, if we can find a way to do that, then that to me is a huge, a huge win. Yeah. I think what you just summarized there was a perfect example of the difference between just pursuing your passion and pursuing meaning, like Mm -hmm. meaningful work. Because, and that's kind of what I was processing earlier when we were talking is like, I think that for me, when I think about something I'm passionate about and I, I love it or whatever, so much of that is, I think it's what can be misguiding for, especially for young people who are trying to find their way, is trying to pursue their passion, is that it's self-focused. <coughs> what's gonna give me pleasure? Yeah. That, that's my passion. Mm-hmm. What's gonna let me travel, or what's gonna let me make me more money, or wow. what's gonna make me look good on Instagram, or whatever. I gotta find that passion. I wanna be a filmmaker, for, or whatever the career mm-hmm. is. But what, what we, you don't know until you've gone a little ways down this path and experienced a decent amount of pain is that the, the, the work that gives, you me, gives your life meaning is work that is lifting up someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were just talking about, totally. shining a light on, on yeah. a humanizing 
people who you would first just disagree with or just, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, you know, instantly like, oh, we're not in the same tribe or whatever. Um, but meaningful work is work where, where you, that, that makes it easier for more people to share more love. Mm-hmm. That's meaningful work. And when you can get outside of your own selfish desires just long enough to feel that that impact of that the positive impact of that when you when you hmm. walk a little ways through doing you know delivering meaningful work you start to realize that's your passion mm-hmm. <laughs> for meaningful work you know whatever whatever the thing you know the craft or the thing starts to become secondary to what the result is the outcome you know, it doesn't matter if you're crunching numbers as a accountant or making films or building houses as long as the result is something that is of great meaning to someone else that it becomes meaningful for you yeah yeah totally yeah i mean i feel like i could talk about this stuff forever we're coming up on an hour but um I would like to just set a goal for ourselves and hopefully encourage other people who might be listening and watching is to start looking at whatever you do. It doesn't really even matter what you do. You can do it in such a way that is impactful on others. Right. And, and if it's not in your work, then in your, in the rest of your life and how you interact with people, how you interact online, how, you know, it's like if we can try to be humble ourselves and encourage humility in others and to hopefully gain a better understanding of the people that we disagree with. That's the most important thing is like, Mm. I think that if, if you really took time to sit and listen and understand why someone is so passionately on the other side of something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you, you may never agree with what they feel is the best way to go about it or what the solution to the problem is. That may not, that's not necessarily the point. The point is, is that do you care more about that person's well being than you do being right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And more about the relationship. Totally. And, and in that comes solutions that no one's thought of yet. Mm Mm-hmm solutions where that's where there's compromise and that's where there's middle ground and that's where you know like i can help you and you can help me like that's where all of that begins to grow is out of out of that being empathetic towards your enemies yeah Um, totally nelson mandela other greats in history that's what they've proven mm -hmm. mlk my god yeah you know like so many it's almost a challenge to the american dream in a small way because it, you know, that the American dream is so self-focused. It's, I'm going to bring myself up, elevate myself because I have had it so hard. And to think for a moment about how I can put someone else first, I mean, it's the most important rule, right? The greatest commandments. And the thing that people don't realize is that, that those dreams that you have of, of traveling or having more money or or a freer lifestyle or more vacation time or Mm -hmm. not just money but the things that you're trying to pursue you get them when you help other people when you help their other people's lives when you provide meaning for other people's lives like if 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 the focus is for those things you Mm -hmm. end up coming up short Mm -hmm. but you actually end up getting those things yes when you are um 
pouring yourself out and creating value for, for like others. A good example is most really successful companies are first solving a problem for someone else, right? That's right. And it's, you know, they're profit focused and all that stuff. But, but really when it comes down to it, it's what are they, what problem are they fixing for someone? That's right. So I don't know. Mm. Listen, if you're watching or listening to this podcast and you have thoughts about passion or meaningful work, leave a comment down below because we would love to get some engagement going with these videos. And uh, if you are interested in filmmaking or if you're interested in storytelling, um, then also leave a comment about that. We'd love to talk to you about it. That's the uh, passion train leaving the station. There it was. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Juices. Bing. da 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 Did anyone see the, the Kanye West Joe Rogan podcast yet? Yes, so I did. So good. I need to watch it. I, I it's so good. Fabulous. Fabulous.